you have your Bible this morning, let's go to the book of 1 Kings, and we'll look at a passage of Scripture here in 1 Kings uh, chapter number 17. In 1 Kings chapter number 17, we'll stand in reverence to the reading of the Scriptures. I'll read several passages of Scripture this morning to set the context of the message that the Lord's laid on our heart, and I hope that God will use it to be of help and encouragement to you. Notice, if you would please, in 1 Kings chapter number 17, and we'll begin reading down in verse number 8. 1 Kings 17, verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, and this is speaking of Elijah, he is the him in this text, saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when it came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks, and he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and make after for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. I would like to draw our attention this morning to verse number 8 and verse number 9. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Let's pray. Our fathers, we bow before you this morning. We thank you for this church, for the blessing, the encouragement that we have personally received from the members, from our pastor. I pray that you'll continue to add your blessings upon this great work. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of your people. Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness of the man of God. And I pray that you'll continue to be with him, give him help, God, I pray that it be a time of rest and relaxation, a time of refreshing. And I pray, Father, as our pastor makes his way back to the church in this pulpit, may you give him a fresh anointing, a power of the Holy Spirit of God, a touch of God upon his life. Lord, may you continue to be with him, be it the Blue family and the Durham family, and many others recently that we know of that have slipped out into eternity. I would ask you now that your will be done in the family's lives. May you help them, bless them, Lord, I would ask you that you'll be with the services this morning. May you use the thoughts from this text to be of help and encouragement to your people. God, if there's one here that's lost, may the Holy Spirit of God convict them, show them their need of salvation, and may they act on that need this morning, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I draw our attention to this passage of Scripture, I would like you to notice this morning that we have a crisis in our midst. 
From a human perspective, there are challenges and difficulties for both the widow woman and for Elijah, the man of God. And I would like to speak to you on this subject this morning, how God reveals his will in the midst of crisis. As we examine this text, we'd find that Elijah comes on the scene around 900 B.C., or about 100 years after Solomon. And we find that under Solomon's, or after Solomon's death, the northern and southern kingdoms have been split. Uh, there are difficulties and challenges that have invaded Israel and has begun to impact tremendously on these nations. Solomon in his latter years had given his heart to the wives of those that were unbelievers and whom God very clearly had commanded that Israel not do so. As a result of that, we find that Ahab has also come on the scene. He was the seventh king in Israel and one of the most corrupt kings up to this passage of scripture that we read in the pages of God's eternal word. Butler in his book says this. He said, it was a time when it seemed that Satan had moved his residence from hell to earth. And I say to you, that seems to be the day and age that also that statement applies in this generation. It seems as if our churches, Christians, our nation, we move from one crisis to another. And I remember as a young preacher, a preacher staying, uh, stating this statement, he said, you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're going into another trial. And I believe I could add a fourth statement to the preacher's statement that I heard as a young preacher boy. I believe that you're either coming, or you're in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into another trial. And sometimes I can testify that you're in the midst of all three at the same time, thus giving a fourth option. And sometimes it seems like we no longer uh, get into a trial, that another trial has come along. And Elijah has found himself in this predicament. We find that Elijah was a shock treatment to his society. He was an exclamation point. He was a no-nonsense preacher. Elijah was straight down the line. He dotted every I, crossed every T, every jot and tittle was mentioned for a divine purpose. He was uncompromising. He was straightforward and right down the line. In fact, many churches and Christians of our generation would not be able to handle the preaching of Elijah and his message from God. A child of God cannot read or study the life of Elijah without being challenged and instructed to do more and to be a greater servant for the cause of Christ. Elijah in our text is faced with a crisis. The Bible tells us if we read in the opening verses of chapter number 17 that his water sources is dried up from a lack of rain. And that is a result of God's judgment on the nation. The Bible tells us that God causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. Many times I believe that God's people are caught up sometimes getting the side effects and the same results of the judgment that God brings on nations and upon other peoples along the life's journey. In our text we find that Elijah and the widow woman, although they come from different backgrounds, 
Obedience to God would bring the two of them together and God would use their circumstances to show Elijah the next step in his life, God's will and purpose for his life. And I say to you that it is in crisis many times that God reveals the very next phase of our life or the purpose that God has in those crises. He saw the brook dry up day by day. Can you imagine being Elijah? You're in the perfect will of God and day by day, the brook, Cherith, begins to dry up. The, the depth of it begins to become shallower and shallower every single day. And yet Elijah's committed to staying in the very center of God's divine will. In fact, in spite of the fact that the resources were drying up, we find that Elijah was unwilling to bend, bow, or budge until God had given him clear direction in his life. And this morning I'd like to look at three ways in our text that God revealed his will in this crisis to Elijah. Notice first off with me in verse number eight, the Bible says, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, notice if you would please, if we're going to back up to verse number two, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, in verse number five, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. We close our text with verse number 16. In the latter part, it says, according to the word of the Lord. And then in the closing of the chapter in verse number 24, it says, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Five times we have in our text the phrase or the statement, the word of the Lord. You'll find that statement 255 times in the Bible, God's holy book. And I say to you this morning that the first and foremost way we find the will of God, whether we're in crisis or things are going well, number one, God uses the scripture to reveal his will in our life. If you're not in your Bible, if you're not in your prayer closet and studying the scriptures, you'll never find the will of God for God speaks through the Bible. He speaks through his blessed book, the Bible, God's holy word. May I say to you in the book of Jeremiah in chapter number 18 in verse number one through three, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there will I cause thee to hear thy words. Then I went down to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And may I say to you, you and I need to learn even in our crisis as Elijah was to just stand still and stay put until the word of God has spoken to our hearts. Many have moved out of the will of God based on emotion and circumstances. Many have taken better paying jobs that would relocate their families to an area where there is no church, where there is no spiritual uh, fervor there for the Lord. And we need to be careful about making decisions based upon emotion. God uses his holy word to speak to hearts. Chris Hanks said this concerning the will of God. He said, instead of it being a joy to watch God unfold his divine plan and purpose in our life, it has become an irritating process that is sometimes followed by bitterness and worse yet, a decision to quit following God altogether. 
May I say to you this morning that when our brooks begin to dry up, when it seems like things are changing in our lives, we don't know which way to go and how we're going to get there, May I say to us this morning, stand still. And God says, know that I am God. You may be this morning facing a crisis and you can see it coming. The handwriting is on the wall. The challenge is before you and you know the ultimate outcome. But my friend, I say to you, on the authority of God's eternal word. Do not bend, do not bow, and do not budge until thus saith the Lord. Let me give you some examples. When God called us to the Rock of Ages Ministries as a missionary, he gave us Isaiah chapter number 61 and verse number one. When God called us to serve as a missionary chaplain in a prison that was violent, God gave me Psalm 91. With all the diseases and the violence inside of the institution, God gave me Psalm 91 of his divine protection. And I have found comfort in that text. When God called me to move from the West Coast back to the East, and as I struggled to find the will of God, God gave me Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse number 21 in order to move back. I say to you this morning, the Bible is the foundation of the will of God and there must always, there must always be a Bible verse to following the will of God. For many years, we still ask the question when missionaries make application for the Rock of Ages ministries, what verse has God given you to confirm his call to this ministry? We used to have it on our application. We took it off because we found that sometimes people would just go looking and digging for a verse of scripture to make it fit. Now we wait till the interview and say, what verse has God given you to this ministry? They don't have time to search. Has God given you a verse? Has God confirmed it in your heart? The decisions you're about to make is there a Bible verse that God has spoken to you and give guidance and leadership in your life and you know without a shadow of a doubt that it is the will of God? Some years ago, I was in our personal prayer time and our morning, early morning devotion. It was around 4.30. We were living in Oregon. And our son Randy was, I had some things going on in his life and we were struggling with it. And in my devotion that morning, I have it in my uh, preacher's Bible that I retired about three years ago. I was reading through the book of Romans and Hebrews and God spoke to my heart. And it was as clear as me speaking to you today. The Holy Spirit spoke in that small, still voice, an impression of my heart and said, you know what Randy's problem is? Randy's not saved. And I wrote in the flyleaf of my Bible, based on the promise of this scripture, God's revealed to me that our son Randy is not saved. He had surrendered to preach as just a young man. In fact, he had preached uh, several things that, and God, it seemed like, was using him. But something from a parent's perspective was always missing. He preached out of that text in 2 Corinthians 9 one time, God loveth the cheerful giver. And he made this statement. God loveth a cheerful giver, but he'll take it from a grouch. 
I thought that's pretty good preaching for a young man. And I began to pray that God would begin to break his heart and meld him and, and show him his need of salvation. And after a while, Peggy began to get the burden and realize that he was lost. And I woke up one morning in the middle of the morning hours around, I don't know, two or three o'clock in the morning and Mrs. Ellis was on her knees by the bedside and her body was quivering. And I slipped down beside her and said, What's burdening you is that you've got to be up in the middle of the night praying and, and seeking God and begging God for something. She said, the Lord woke me up and God showed me that his, our son Randy's lost and together we bowed by the side of the bed and put our hand on the Bible and that verse and prayed and claimed it for the glory of God. It was only weeks later that Randy was on his way to Florida. And I've told the story. I don't want to be redundant. And he pulled his car off the side of the road and called and said, Dad, I feel like if I drive one more mile, I'll die and go straight to hell without God. And I said, Randy, let me take and quote you some Bible, son, and show you how you can be saved on the phone. He said, Daddy, I don't need any, uh, any scriptures. I've heard the best preaching on the planet Earth from all the preachers uh, you've had in at Rock of Ages and the revivals and ministries we've been involved with. He said, Daddy, what I need is to bow on my knees and get saved and give my life to God. And on the side of Interstate 75, on the southbound lane, 22 miles north of Valdosta, Georgia, he bowed his knees on the side of the interstate and got birth into the family of God. But it started with the scripture. Do you have a Bible this morning? We find that if our decisions do not line up with the scriptures, you can rest assured God's not leading and God's not in it. God never leads against his divine word. God does not lead us to get out of church, Hebrews 10, 25. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. God not, does not lead us to look like the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. God always speaks first and foremost through his word. Then notice, if you would please, secondly with me in our text. The Bible says, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Notice it is a changing season in Elijah's life. Both the widow woman and Elijah were coming to the end of their supplies. And we go through changes and seasons in our life. And when we go through changes and seasons, we're often tempted to throw in the towel and walk away from God. It seems like trials play on our emotions and our heart and our mind and our soul more as we get older. The youthful trust and faith in God begins to wane, not Elijah. I remember when our son Randy was just a young man. I used to set him on the counter 
in the kitchen, I'd step back two or three feet and I'd say, jump to daddy boy, and he would jump. Often before I could even get it out of my mouth. I would do this often. And then he turned six years old and I set him on the counter and I stepped back and I said, jump to daddy boy. He said, nope. I said, boy, I said, you better jump to daddy. He said, nope. I said, why not? He said, daddy, I'm six years old. I'm a man now. I said, boy, you better jump to daddy one last time. And he jumped. And I never set him back on the counter. You know what had happened? As a young man, he thought daddy could do anything. But all of a sudden, he turned six years old. By the way, the week leading up to the incident I just told, he came to me and said, daddy, I'm six years old. Can I have my baby teeth, the rest of them pulled? but he had become self-confident as time progressed. And that's exactly what we do with God. When we first got saved, we'd go anything God wanted us to do, say anything God wanted us to say, go anywhere God wanted us to go. We were dedicated, we were committed, we loved him with all of our heart and we'd do whatever God bids. But the older we get, the more self-reliant we become. The tragedy of this is we face crisis we no longer have simple faith in God. You see, failure to perform our duty is never because God is late in revealing his will. Let us not accuse the Lord as Martha did. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Elijah's water and the widow's bread were coming to an end. But Elijah would receive water from the widow and the widow would receive bread from Elijah. God reveals his will in crisis and circumstances of our life. And the change in seasonings, seasons of our life. I'm reminded of one of our dearest friends ever in the ministry, Brother Gene Blackburn, he pastored for 22 years and I preached many conferences for him. And he started going to prison with us and got a burden for the prisons and signed up and came on, worked with us in the western region of the United States. He was from North Carolina. We literally traveled hundreds of thousands of miles together. We saw the blessings of God and the trials we walked through together. And then Brother Blackburn was older than I. In fact, I offered him the western half of the United States when God led us back to the East Coast. And I said, Brother Blackburn, take the West Coast. It's all yours as God leads and empowers. He said, I'm old. I've been involved in the ministry. And he said, I'm going wherever you go. That's what God's called me to do. And he moved back here for us and he was up in years. They're like us. They had... No retirement, no money back, and I'm not endorsing that as being spiritual. He just he had lived by faith as a missionary and stepped out, and he moved back here, and they were getting up in years, had ill health, and God burdened the heart of someone one day to come along and said, Brother Blackburn, we love you and Sister Evelyn. We would like to build a house and let you live there the rest of your life free of charge. The change in seasons of life. You may be here this morning and consider yourself in a crisis. You don't know how God's going to take care of you, how the Lord's going to provide. 
Don't you worry this morning. God has a man of God and a widow woman, and they both have what each other needs. I thought about Dr. Garris when he was on his deathbed, and I inherited our national conference two weeks prior to uh, the, the scheduled meeting. It was at Dr. Norris's at Franklin Road Baptist Church. And I remember that conference, I had in my heart to try to raise the funds to pay off their home. And I know I mentioned this recently, the last time I preached here, but I have it on my heart again this morning. And I remember uh, there in just a short season, God allowed us to raise the funds. God's people got a burden and began to give. And I remember when we conference called Dr. Garrison, he said, the devil is nothing but a liar. He's a liar. He had convinced me in this season of my life that I was broken, busted. I couldn't get out on the road and preach anymore. And the devil was on my shoulder saying, God's not gonna take care of you now. And God's not gonna supply for you now. Look at you, your broken health, you're busted. There's nothing you can do. He said, the devil is a liar. God supplied May I say to you this morning that in our crisis, God will often reveal his perfect will for our life. Then there's a third thing this morning, if you'll look with me briefly. Notice in verse eight and nine again, the word of the Lord came unto him saying, arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Notice, if you would, that not only is God's will revealed through the scriptures and through the different chains and seasons of our life, but notice it's in the different segments of our life. You see, their duty was revealed to them one step at a time. When God told Elijah to go to Brook Cherith in the opening of chapter 17, he didn't say, now, Elijah, I'm sending you to Brook Cherith, and then from there I want you to go to Zarephath and lay out all of his divine purpose and plan and will for his life, one step at a time. Some may be sitting here this morning trying to figure it all out. May I say to you, let's just walk in the will of God for today. I wrote in my flyleaf of my Bible, we find God's will by doing God's will. You see, notice in our text, the Bible said the widow woman followed Elijah's request one step at a time. First he said in our text, fetch me water. Then after she fetched him water, he said, bring me a morsel of bread and then make me a little cake. And step by step, she followed the command of Elijah and step by step, God met her needs and the man of God's. F.B. Meyer said this concerning the text, having the will of God revealed step by step exhorts us to spiritual uh, stewardship for it is the habit of God not to reveal tomorrow's will unless we have done today's duty. If Elijah had not gone to Cherith, he would not have learned of God's order for him to go to Zarephath. Had the widow not uh, followed her orders each time or his orders each time, she would not have received further orders. 
Jeremiah, he goes on to say, was told to go to the potter's house and God would show him from there what his will was. And my friend, may I say to you that in our crisis, you may not be able to see the end. You may not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I say to you this morning, hold to the Bible. Cling to the word of God. Find that passage that the Holy Spirit of God would speak to your heart and give you a peace that passeth all understanding. Cling to that Bible and realize that in the different seasons and sessions of our life, the segments God will lead. You may not know what's going to take place at the end of the week, but trust him today. It seems like as if our duties does not come on easy street, our generation wants to skip it. Doing God's will seems to be secondary in our generation. Now I want to give you one last thing and I'm done. If you're not saved this morning, I can tell you exactly what the will of God is for your life. For the child of God who's here and going through a crisis and facing difficult circumstances and seeking the will of God, trying to find direction from this day forward, you don't know what's going to take place tomorrow. You don't know where God's going to have you at, what's going to take place. There may be some sitting here, you don't even know the future of your finances and your family and you're in a crisis this morning. And I cannot tell you emphatically what God's exact will is for your life other than things that are spelled out in the scripture. Faithful to church, prayer, studying the Bible, and etc. But if you're lost this morning, I can tell you exactly what God's will is for your life. I quoted it earlier, 2 Peter 3, 9. For it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And may I say to you this morning, if you are here lost without Jesus Christ and do not know him as your personal Savior, it is the will of God for you to be saved this morning. Right now, at this altar, to bow your heart and your head toward heaven and trust Christ as your personal Savior. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, for he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And so if you're here and you don't know Christ, it's God's will for you that you come in this invitation and trust Christ as your Savior. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You're here and you don't know the Lord this morning. God's will for your life is that you be saved. You put your faith and trust in him. This morning, maybe you're here as a child of God, a Christian, and you've been challenged with the will of God and the crisis you're in. My friend, Lean on this book. Fathers, we bow before you this morning. Take these few short, brief, simple thoughts from the scriptures. Use them for thy glory. Help those that are here this morning struggling to find the will of God, to find it in the scripture, the Bible, 
Help them realize in the seasons and the segments of life you speak and guide and show us your perfect will. If there's one here lost this morning, again, I pray, I plead, I beg. May the Spirit of God convict them, draw them to an old-fashioned altar. For we ask it in Christ's name. Heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.